I want to begin uh, this morning's topic of dealing with grief uh, with a couple of quotes. Uh, uh, the first from C.S. Lewis, again from his book, A Grief Observed. And I'm going to have a quote here at the beginning and another one at the end of the lesson that will tie in with this. But as he, what happened is his wife had passed away and he was in deep grief. He began to make notes uh, through his grief. And, and he's very frank, very open and direct about how he felt and crying out to God. They, they do remind me of the Psalms in many ways in their openness and honesty. And he said, he asked this question, Meanwhile, where is God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms When you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you are tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption, if you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. There are no lights in the windows. It might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seemed so once, and that seeming was as strong as this. What can it mean? Why is he so present a commander in our time of prosperity and so very absent a help in time of trouble? Job chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite, For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept. And each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Grief varies in intensity and depending on the circumstances, but sometimes in its greatest forms, it is overwhelming, so much so that we see here in C.S. Lewis's statement that he feels alone and abandoned, uh, even by God. And in the case of Job and his friends, they come and the first thing they notice is that they're not sure that's even Job. He has changed. He doesn't look the same. He, he has uh, his his body and uh, is is affected by this grief in such a way that they hardly recognize him. But I do want us to notice a few things and, and make a few words say a few words about Job's friends. We often vilify his friends because we know they gave some bad counsel. But I want you to notice first of all they were friends. Second, they came. Third, they grieved with Job. Fourth, they felt the need to give counsel but were not equipped to do so. Remember, they didn't have the Bible. 
We get the advantage of reading their story, but they didn't. And fifth, they did eventually lose patience with Job. And so, um, here are some lessons we, we can learn. Part of what they did was good, and part of what they did was not. We need to imitate the good things they did and avoid the bad. They didn't have the Bible, as I said, to instruct them, but we do, including the book of Job. And we need to take advantage of that advantage. We need the truth so that we will know how to grieve. Both parties are being instructed. The griever needs to be instructed by the word of God, as well as we need to know how to comfort Because we will play both roles in our lives. We need the truth. So both the grieving person and the comforter can be ignorant and can do it poorly. We all need God's word and we need God's spirit. And we would do well to remember that we must, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Our perspective is like a child, and we will have to trust God for much. Again, another quote from Lewis in in his book, Grief Observed. He said, when I lay these questions before God, I get no answer, but a rather special sort of no answer. It is not the locked door. It is more like a silent, certainly not uncompassionate gaze as though he shook his head, not in refusal, but waving the question like, Peace, child, you don't understand. Can a mortal ask questions which God finds unanswerable? Quite easily, I should think. All nonsense questions are unanswerable. How many hours are there in a mile? Is yellow square or round? Probably half the questions we ask, half our great theological and metaphysical problems are like that. Heaven will solve our problems, but not, I think, by showing us subtle reconciliations between all of our apparently contradictory notions. The notions will be knocked from under our feet. We shall see that there never was a problem. God, uh, he continues, has not been trying an experiment on my faith or love in order to find out their quality. He knew it already. It was I who didn't. In this trial, he makes us occupy the dock, the witness box, and the bench all at once. He always knew that my temple was a house of cards. His only way of making me realize the fact was to knock it down. The Bible, of course, is the Word of God, living and active. It is the one thing that endures forever. It is holy. It is perfect. It is the transcript of God's character. It is how we know Him. It is how we know His will. It is really how we know anything for certain. Psalm 147, verse 3, God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. God is the source of our comfort. Our Creator knows our hearts, and He always knows how best to help us. 
And so all the answers to life's questions are in his word. And when we are grief-stricken, if we will talk with God, that is, pray, cry out, complain, uh, again, using the Psalms as a pattern, and then read his word, which is him speaking to us, we will experience great comfort, hope, and healing, even if it comes slowly. Not all remedies work immediately. Sometimes it comes slowly because we want it to come slowly. Have you ever been angry and someone tries to talk you down, but you want none of it because you want to be angry? You want to be bitter? Have you ever wanted to be a victim? Well, sometimes we don't want to be comforted. And I think this is complex. We actually can nurse anger or bitterness or grief, but we should remember that while it is possible to be angry and not sin, yet we often sin when we are angry. Grief is like that as well. Again, I'm giving counsel to both those who grieve as well as those who are comforting the grieving. Uh, Remember that the community plays an essential role. Part of our grief, perhaps a big part of our grief, is our own, but part of it belongs to the community, to the family, to the church, and to friends. And that's why if, if they don't show up, if they don't come alongside us, we are not happy. We don't feel comforted or loved because that's what they should do. We should remember that they cannot do everything, but they can do some things. They can't make it vanish, but they can make it better. We might not realize it at the moment, but the, but the presence, the words, the prayers, the hugs, the acts of kindness and service are a means of the body of Christ ministering to the grieved. And so we might feel in the midst of a deep grief that it might not ever end and might wonder if it will. And we're told, though, in Revelation 21, verse 4, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Not only... Will families be reunited, but we will all be one big, happy family, the family of God. And the family will live forever with no more death, no more grieving. Job asked this all-important question in chapter 14. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service I will wait till my change comes. You shall call, and I will answer you. Job knew that he could look forward to a change to eternal life, but he also knew that it might be a while. It might be a ways off. Writing in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul looked forward to the future time of change when some will receive eternal life in 1 Thessalonians 4. Again, I know these passages are familiar. I'm happy for you that they are familiar. They're not familiar to everyone, by the way. Most of the world, they're not familiar. We are blessed that they are. But the way they become familiar is by hearing them again and again and again and getting them into us, into our bones, abiding in the Word, 
and the Word abiding in us so that when the time comes, we're not alone. We're not without help. We're not without strength. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the church to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Jesus Christ himself rose from the dead. The most important fact for us. Writing to to the skeptical Corinthians, the Apostle Paul reminded them of this fact. For in Adam we all died, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are in Christ at his coming. And in the words of Jesus in John chapter 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, you believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Paul, now I want to say, the reason I'm taking time to do this, we've talked about some of this already in this series, but I'm going to be saying some other things about how we process grief, but this is the central thing, these are the central things that we need to remember and remind one another of. Paul wrote the following words to the Romans in chapter 8, verse 11 and 14. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit, which dwells in you. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And he explained to his readers in 1 Corinthians 15 that we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed For this corruptible must put on incorruptible, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Now imagine if we didn't know that. If we didn't have that promise, that hope set before us. How then would we face these Things in life that we call tragedies. They would just be tragedies. But when God gets a hold of a tragedy, he turns it into a comedy, using the literary sense of that word. Not funny, but happy. That's what resurrections do. When all is lost, when you think it's too late, Lazarus' body already stinks. Jesus, if you'd have gotten here sooner then everything might have been okay, but you're too late. And then he says, Lazarus, come forth. Can you imagine against the backdrop of a rotting corpse, a living Lazarus coming forth out of the grave? Well, that's what awaits all of us in Christ. Probably multiplied many times over. And so I want to talk a little bit this morning about steps in dealing with grief. We all have to cope with the loss caused by death. The only way we could escape that is for us to go first. If, we, if I die first and beat all of you, then I won't have to cope with your death. 
But uh, we don't know the answers to that as to who's next. Uh, But we should all recognize that if we live uh, and continue, we are going to face this. And so how can we deal with our grief and also help others who are grieving? Understand, understanding what the Bible reveals about death and his promise of the resurrection, then, is the central thing that provides comfort. God, in his great love for us, has revealed answers to some of our greatest questions that we face. Answers we could never have had he not revealed it. We could not discover it on our own. What is life? What is death? And what happens after death? Ultimately, this understanding can help us better cope with the loss caused by death. Yet we can't deny or diminish the feeling of loss created by death. We still sorrow. We still grieve. Grief is a deeply personal and traumatic experience. In dealing with grief, you might find it helpful to understand certain aspects of grief that are common to to most of us. Remember, grief is not limited to death, the death of a loved one. I just want to remind you of this, even though that's the focus, because usually that can be the most intense kind of grief. But there are other kinds of grief. It can come with any life-changing event. And I think this is really helpful to remember that uh, sometimes there are other things that happen because we, we recognize that when someone dies, we expect people to grieve. But sometimes we forget that grief can come from other things. And so loss, job loss, a major move, um, a financial reversal, sickness or injury, divorce or other relational breakup. In fact, when such events happen, it is not uncommon for people to seek comfort uh, in some place other than Christ, other than God's Word. That, that is our tendency. And yet, these so-called comforts never comfort. They only make things worse. And so, I have come to not like uh, describing uh, this, what I'm about to talk about as the grief process as though this is some sort of automatic or mechanical series of events with some kind of a checklist, phase one, phase two, phase three. Um, that's a, that's a pretty common to find that, but I think that that's uh, probably not wise, and so I'd like to think about it somewhat differently. And so I'd like maybe for us to just understand certain aspects of grief, and uh, recognize them in ourselves and other recognizing them in ourselves and others can be helpful, uh, but they never fit into neat categories. They overlap, they come and go, their duration varies, and not everything fits neatly in a row. One of, that's part of the nature of grief is things are in a bit of chaos, maybe a lot of chaos. Besides, there are various ways to think about things, and so this is more of a, uh, just a means of organizing the topic of grief and, and looking at it perhaps from different angles. And these are merely uh, one way to help us get some sense of what might be going on with us and with others. And I have always found it helpful when I'm going through something to know that some of what I'm experiencing is for lack of a better word, normal. In other words, other people have experienced similar things, and these things change, and sometimes they go away altogether. Everything, this is, I think, an important 
overall principle for our lives, no matter what's going on, everything changes. It will look different in an hour. It will look different tomorrow. It will look a bit different in a week. It will look different in a year and in ten years. Because we are changing creatures. We hear of categories such as shock or denial, anger, disorganization or depression, and reorganization or acceptance. But bear in mind that a person in mourning might not experience these sequentially. uh, And that's an important thing to keep in mind. There is no standard timetable for working through grief. Someone might feel several of these categories, but not others, and another person might experience them simultaneously. And having already gone through a certain category doesn't mean that they can't return to it. Each person's experience is different. Things for the comforter to remember. Being there is better than not being there. Sometimes people don't go to the hospital to visit a sick person or go to their home or go uh, speak to someone who's grieving because they don't know what to say. They feel odd. They feel stressed. They feel awkward. And they're afraid they'll say the wrong thing. And that's understandable. Everything new feels odd. And so if you don't do that much or hadn't done it before, or maybe you did it once and it didn't go well, so now you're not ever going to do that again, But I want to encourage you that being there is better than not being there, even if you don't say anything. But wisely evaluate the situation. I like to always say, I want to be here, I want to be helpful, but not in the way. And that's, that'll take some wisdom, because every situation is different. Sometimes the best thing to do is to to drop by and stay for two minutes and leave. And sometimes the best thing to do is like Job's friends is stop by and stay for a week. You're going to have to make some evaluations there about uh, recognize there are different levels of every relationship. An acquaintance has one role. A friend or relative has another role. A close friend or a pastor plays other roles. You need to wisely consider what role you're to play in a given situation. So let me look at each of these categories very briefly and just make a few observations about them. First, uh, shock or denial. When a person experiences shock or denial, his physical responses might include uh, sweating or faintness or nausea or racing heart, uh, just as with other victims of shock, physical shock. The mind and the emotions become overwhelmed, even numb, perhaps. Some might not be able to deal with the reality of death. Some withdraw from the world around them. Others might feel as though they must be having a bad dream that they'll soon awaken from. Perhaps this is God's way of providing a bit of a buffer. Um, I know this is the case with physical pain. Um, I'm sure there are others that can testify to this, but uh, I remember specifically when I fell through the attic and broke my arm and was uh, about 20 miles from the hospital, I really wasn't in a lot of pain. I was shaking and sweating. I was in shock, clearly, but was able to finally get down the ladder to the ground and sit down and relax a bit, and my wife drove me to the hospital, and I really wasn't in much pain yet. I was good for about 17 miles. (laughs) The last 
three were rough. And by the time I got there, I was in excruciating pain. But I was thankful for that, at least that brief period where uh, whatever is going on in the body in shock that overrides that intense pain, I was grateful for. I wished it had lasted just a few more minutes before I actually got the anesthetic, uh, which took over from there. So um, it is during this time, that, though, that we can begin to sort out and process our feelings at our own pace and comfort level. There are several important principles that should be considered at this point. First, it is normal for there to be emotional ups and downs. And so frequently somebody, I may go visit someone, or you might, and somebody will say, well, how's she doing? And I'll say, well, sometimes she sobs, and sometimes she's quiet, and sometimes she's busy. I think she's doing just fine. That's what grieving people do. I don't know how you measure that. Um, Second, at some point, it helps to talk about your thoughts and feelings if you're the one grieving, not necessarily with everyone, but with someone. Those who are grieving have been deeply hurt by their loss. They, they need the opportunity to heal. They need the opportunity to be taken care of. They can uh, enable people around them. Remember, I want to say something. This seems odd in a way. Somehow we recognize the person grieving in one sense is... Uh, a victim. Something's happened to them. This loss. Okay? But I want to remind us that when you're grieving, when I'm grieving, that we still bear some responsibilities ourselves here. And so uh, we should enable people around us to be of assistance by letting those who want to help know what we're experiencing. And sometimes I may just say, you know, I really appreciate you coming, but I just, right now, I'm not up to talking. That's fine. Okay? Um, but it's not, I, I want to just emphasize, it's not a one-way street here. Remember, you perhaps have not grieved like this before. It's new to you. Well, when, when someone's trying to comfort someone who's in a situation like you're in, it's probably new to them too. And you want them to be patient with you, and you need to be patient with them. They haven't done this before. They're not very good at it, uh, perhaps. And so we're going to walk together and stumble as we go. But again, it's important that we both recognize that we're engaged together in this process. And so um, uh, you can help by being a good listener and not changing the subject. Sometimes then if the subject of the person who's died comes up, you become, if you're the comforter, you become uncomfortable and you want to change the subject. Don't do that. Just listen. Okay? It's okay to be uncomfortable, but you still need to listen. Okay? As distressing times, at distressing times like these, the support of friends and loving family, of course, is invaluable. Proverbs 17, 17 and 18.24 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity, and there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And so the day will come... When that person who is trying to comfort you will be happy, um, uh, excuse me, the, the day will come when they will be happy to do the same for you. Okay, you're, bit, you're grieved and there they are trying to comfort you and of course the roles will probably be reversed at some point and you'll be the one doing the comforting. Third, no matter how deep their sorrow, let them know that they are not alone and that you love them. That means an enormous amount. You don't have to have a lot of fancy words. 
You just have to be there and let them know you love them very much, you care for them, and you're going to help them get through this. Fourth, in times of grief, some people lose sight of the need to take care of themselves physically. Remember, we're, we're not just spirits. We're spirits and bodies joined in one. And so caring for their health will be, and well-being is often the last thing on their minds. During times of grief, it's easily to grow emotionally and physically exhausted. And so encourage them to go for a walk. Go for a walk with them. Say, hey, let's just walk down to the corner and back, or that kind of thing. Or uh, remember that rest is another way to take care of a grieving person. Grief is exhausting, and going without rest will compound the grief, will make it worse. When you're tired, when you're exhausted uh, physically, then that affects you emotionally and spiritually. Anger, uh, sometimes when we're grieved, our natural tendency is to want to blame someone, anyone, for our loss and for our pain. This anger might not be rational, so be patient with your grieving friend. We might find ourselves angry even with the person who died or even... Um, even even if the person died through no fault of their own because of what the loss is doing to us. We might be angry because of the timing of the death. And when we're grieving, anger might be vented toward authority figures, toward the doctor, the hospital staff, family members, friends, and even, as we saw with C.S. Lewis, even God. We might wonder why God didn't intervene in the situation to prevent the death. And this angry anger then may lead to feelings of guilt. Anger is a powerful emotion that finds expression in many, many ways. Disorganization or depression, when everything gets turned upside down, we then don't even know where to start. Like a tornado that has hit, you go out and you see the wreckage and it just seems overwhelming. Where do you start? What should I feel? How, what do I do? And then, then you add on top of that, all of a sudden there's all kinds of decisions that have to get made about funerals and finances and people who are coming in from out of town and uh, all kinds of decisions that have to be made suddenly, business issues and so forth. We might have gone from a normal routine life and suddenly it all changes. Or we might have been a caregiver for a long time, and suddenly it's over. New responsibilities are laid on us. Indeed, it is a whirlwind. Reality eventually sets in. We're confronted with the necessity to go on with life without the one that we loved. And it's easy to, be, to begin to plague ourselves with thoughts of what should have or could have been. Signs of depression include a feeling of melancholy or unconcern about the outside world or a loss of interest in eating or sleeping. Feelings of guilt, helplessness, hopelessness, and worthlessness are common. During this stage, we should remember the positive aspects of the life that we shared with our loved one. Memories are real. Memories are valuable we will forever carry with us time spent and enjoyed with the ones that we loved and lost. These are treasures that no one can take from us and are part of a legacy that our loved one left for us. 
Furthermore, it is vital to realize that we need not ever walk alone in our grief. God is still with us even in times of mourning. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. And so at times like this, it is important, even when we don't feel like it, to keep the lines of communication open with God. He can help us deal with grief. Ask him for strength and courage. Again, it doesn't always come today or two minutes after I ask. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. He is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our tribulation. And then finally, another aspect of grief is reorganization or acceptance. Eventually, as we deal with our grief, we come to understand and accept that we are beginning a new chapter in our lives, like it or not. We come to know a new normal. We have been changed forever. As Glenn commented to me, and I think it's a good summary and a good way to remember it, is we either either become bitter or better. A serious physical accident is similar. I was thinking about this recent situation with the Bryant family with uh, Sadie and her injuries. She'll never be the same. I don't know what she will or won't do, and she's surprised us in many ways, but it's hard to imagine at this point that she'll ever be out running and being the star on the soccer field again. So that's forever there. But even in her injuries, even in her wounds, even in her changes, she will find new ways to be useful, to be happy, to serve, and in fact, probably in ways that will surprise everyone. And that's the same with those who've been through anything, any hard thing. You come, if you come out on the other side better, more equipped, ready to serve, but you're always and forever changed. New realities must be adjusted to because we're in a new situation. Because of the trial we're going through, we should become stronger, deeper, and better for having faced and endured this great difficulty. Emotional balance returns little by little, like the healing of a physical wound. I, again, know from reading and talking about uh, um, the injuries from the accident that Sadie was in, that uh, head injuries, concussions may take as much as two years to heal, just physically. And so um, the time required for the healing is different for each person. No one can ever take the place of a loved one that we've lost, but we'll come to a point or are ready to move forward and meet new challenges. As bleak as life seems after the death of one we love, we must remember this too. And I'm not going to say we'll pass. I will say it will fade. Sometimes to our chagrin. Because we kind of feel guilty that maybe it doesn't stay as intense as it was at some point. The joy of life, though, can return with help from God, with the understanding of his great purpose for life. With the hope of a future, we can find the strength to overcome grief as we overcome other things. By overcome doesn't mean dispense with. It means to handle it and to manage it and to recognize it as another thing in our life that shapes us especially if we hold firmly to the promises of that wonderful day when we will be joyfully reunited with our lost loved ones 
and ultimately of the time when death and all suffering will pass away forever. Then we'll be able to say, I got over it. Now I have closure. Until then, as Solomon wrote, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to die, a time to heal, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. The length of those times will vary according to the circumstances of the person. Emotional healing will come, but we never really get over it in this life. There will be scars. We are changed forever. C.S. Lewis, again, reading last night toward the end of his book, A Grief Observed, uh, I thought this was a a very helpful uh, description. He says, uh, getting over it so soon, but the words are ambiguous. To say the patient is getting over it after an operation for appendicitis is one thing. After he's had his leg cut off is quite another After that operation, either the wounded stump heals or the man dies. If it heals, the fierce, continuous pain will stop. Presently, he'll get back his strength and be able to stump about on his wooden leg. He has got over it, but he will probably have recurrent pains in the stump all his life and perhaps pretty bad ones. And he will always be a one-legged man. There will be hardly any moment when he forgets it. Bathing, dressing, sitting down and getting up again, even lying in bed, will all be different. His whole way of life will be changed. All sorts of pleasures and activities that he once took for granted will have to be simply written off. Duties, too. At present, I am learning to get about on crutches. Perhaps I shall presently be given a wooden leg, but I shall never be a biped. I want to close this with a few words of encouragement. Adjusting to the loss and loneliness caused by death, as we said, takes time. We need to be very patient with those who are grieving. Remember, Job's friends grew impatient with him. They thought it was time for him to get over it. But those who are grieving also need to work at trusting God. We all need to remember that even the most extreme experience does not separate us or our loved one from God's plan or God's love. The Apostle Paul noted that God reveals details about what happens after death to encourage us and comfort us to give us hope in times of personal loss so that we do not sorrow or grieve like those without hope. God's promise of eternal life is certain and we can safely trust in it as long as we're faithful to him. Writing to, a fellow, to fellow ministers, Paul spoke of his confidence in, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. When a family member or friend dies, there is no denying the sense of loneliness and emptiness and the feeling of unfinished business. That things that we should have said or done Gaining a more complete understanding of death and life can help us face our own mortality. We find courage, we find comfort, we find hope by viewing life in that larger context. We realize that just as our present experience is temporary, it is, right? 
so is death, temporary. The time is coming when we will reunite with those who have died and renew our relationships. Paul said, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mentioned at the first when I read the opening quote by C.S. Lewis as he talked about that feeling in his deep grief of going to God and hearing the door close and being locked from the inside. Later he wrote, And so, perhaps with God, I have gradually been coming to feel that the door is no longer shut and bolted. Was it my own frantic need that slammed it in my face? The time when there is nothing at all in your soul except a cry for help may be just the time when God can't give it. You are like the drowning man who can't be helped because he clutches and grabs. Perhaps your own reiterated cries deafen you you to the voice you hope to hear. He went on to say that I realized that I had closed the door and he was there all along. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that you give us, the instruction uh, that you give us so that we might have truth, truth to stand on, truth to rely on and lean on and to be comforted by and to comfort others with. We thank you that we're not left alone to our own wanderings and wonderings and our own fears and anxieties. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to be stronger and better and better equipped to both face grief as well as to comfort those who grieve. Lord, bless us as we uh, apply these things to our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.